We're going to have uh, a lot of the teenagers going to give some testimonies, and their testimonies are all going to revolve around a certain theme. Before, before we talk about that, though, I want to go to a certain passage within the Bible, and it's one that we've read multiple times, and it's Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. So if you guys can turn there, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and I'm going to be reading out the New Living Translation. chapter 28 verse 18 through 20 says Jesus came and told his disciples I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth therefore go and make disciples everybody say disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit teach these new disciples say teach oh you guys are gonna have to wake up a little bit say teach everybody say teach there we go. These new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Everybody say, given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, that word there, disciple, I'm, I'm going to use a, that make, to make disciples, is to teach, to instruct, and to understand. So God's commanding us, each one of us, to go out and teach and uh, to make, to instruct, and to help others understand the gospel. I, I like to get a full glimpse because this is like, so in your Bibles it's probably titled the Great Commission. It's the last thing that God commanded, or Jesus commanded us before he went and sat with the Father. This is the last mission that he gave each one of us Christians. And I want to get a full glimpse of this so I can completely understand this. And you see it. I repeat it again in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. We can get a bigger glimpse of what the Great Commission is. It says, and then in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Good news meaning telling of something that is the that is good or declaring it, right? So, so what the Great Commission is for us. Is God had commanded each one of us to declare, to make, to help other people understand, to teach, to instruct others what Jesus has done in our life. That's the good news, right? Is what Jesus has done in our lives to others. And I really want to focus on because I think we skip over this part sometimes, or we draw a line at going to all the world, right? A lot of us might stop, be like, okay, my world is. Because I'm a stay-at-home mother, maybe it's just your children. That's that's who I'm discipling. That's the line I draw, right? But the Greek, I, don't, I looked it up. The Greek word there, it says it's all. Can you guys guess what all means? All, everything, right? Everything, all the world. Go into all the world. Maybe for some of you, it's children's ministry. If you help in children's ministry, that's your line. That's okay. I disciple the children on Sunday morning, and that is it. Maybe maybe it's youth ministry. Maybe, maybe you're like, okay, I'm going to draw the line a little bit further, and maybe it's just your life group. And I know some life groups are still going, and we're about to kick off life groups here in a couple more weeks, I believe. Um, and a lot of us will draw the line there and be like, okay, I'm discipling someone there. But it says, all, oh. meaning go in, for teenagers, just going into your schools, 
for adults, it could be your workplace. It's See, all is referring to everything that God has given you influence over, right? The influence into other people's lives. God has given everybody influence into someone's life. And that's what he's talking about. Go into all the world. Go into the areas where God has given you influence. If it's your workplace, if it's your family, if it's... Uh, it's all of it. Every sphere of influence that you have, it says go into there and declare, instruct, and help them to understand the good news of what Jesus did in your life. That's what it's talking about when the Great Commission. That is our last commission that God, that Jesus gave us before leaving the earth is the Great Commission is to instruct, teach. So if I could, I'm going to, if I could sum up the Great Commission, be, so the Great Commission, to sum it up, would be to go into all the world and proclaim what Jesus has done for you and teach and instruct them so that they can understand what you know about God. See, I know a lot of times we think, how can I disciple someone, right? I don't know everything, or I'm in a, like, a, a couple months ago I taught on... Um, this chaos that we get into, a whirlwind of chaos that we get into, where our life is just spinning out of cycle, right? And sometimes if we feel like when we're in that whirlwind of chaos, we feel like we can't do any good, we can't disciple anybody, right? Satan tries to feed those lies to our head. And what's cool in that Matthew chapter 28, and it's verse 20, it says, I have given, it says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. You might not know everything, but you know what God has given you. And that's why he's instructing you to teach. Maybe maybe you have an awesome understanding just on one passage. Well, God's telling you to teach someone that, to instruct someone in that, to help them understand what God has given you. Right? God has given each one of us, and I, it's almost a cliche saying, but I love it so much, that God has given each one of us a, a, a testimony to give, right? And a lot of times we feel like our mess, God wants to take our mess and turn it into his message. He wants to take the mess that you're in and turn it into his message. And that's what he's commanding us to do when it says go into all the world. He's commanding us to instruct and teach and help others to understand what Jesus is doing in our life. What Jesus is doing in the midst of our chaos of that world and that we get caught up into sometimes. And what if, and I've been in this place where you, like, I've been in a job where I just hated it. Like, it was, it was, a, I forget the fact, Magna. I was working at Magna. And uh, there was this one guy, and this is the reason why I hated it. There was this one guy that just despised who I was. I didn't really necessarily share the gospel. I wasn't in his face or anything like that. I was just always doing my own thing. And he just despised, always would, I mean, just hate on me every day. It was tough, right? But I want to ask you a question. What if... And maybe some of you guys were in, are in the same boat, or maybe you're just in a spot where you're like, man, I, I feel like there's more. I feel like God has more for me to do than what I'm in right now, whatever that circumstance is. But what if God placed you there in the midst of that world, that sphere of influence, so that you can be his voice? Right? What what if the, the, the chaos that you're in, that he has you going through to reach someone? So I want to use a different word. And then disciple to help you understand like the true grasp of what that means to be a, to make disciples. And you don't find the word in the Bible, but you find the principle all throughout the Bible, and it is mentorship. The word mentor. Um, and it's so powerful the word mentor because you like one of the principles that you see in the Bible is uh, Moses when he uh, mentored Joshua, right? 
Moses did a lot of mighty things. And then all of a sudden, Joshua comes along, mentoring under Moses. And all of a sudden, Joshua picked up the, the, the mantle and continued to carry. And they did even more mightier things. Right? They took back the promise. But you know what's the story we always forget? What happened after Joshua? Joshua didn't mentor anyone. He didn't train up anyone. They end up falling back into where all of a sudden God set up a whole bunch of judges so they could keep taking their land back that he already given them. That's how powerful mentorship is. See, Moses trained up someone to the next generation. And that's the thing. Here's the thing. I believe God has called each one of us to raise and train up the next generation. Each one of you are called to train up the next generation. So I believe God has given us a specific word for today in the word being mentor and mentorship. And I feel like there's two parts to that. First part being that we need to have a mentor in our life. Right? We need to have someone that we're training up under it so that we can grow further. And Proverbs talks about iron sharpening iron. There's multiple verses. And then the second part, the part that I really want to focus on, and you're going to hear testimonies about, you'll hear all the youth, um, they had this person in their life that really took them to that next level or where they're at now. And it is, each one of us are called, once again, to mentor. Right? We're called to have a mentor in our life. We're called to mentor. And the reason why I wanted to use the word mentor is because you, when you think of mentor, that means you're coming along someone. You're coming along someone who is really teaching you and honing in the skills that you need to know. Right? And what the word mentor means, it means someone with experience that can train. Someone that has been through it. That's all that means. When you're met, so when you go to mentor someone, it's just you're mentoring them in what God has given you to instruct someone else in. Like when we talked about in Matthew chapter 20 in the Great Commission. And then, I know I, I, know I said this once, but I'm going to say it again. It's, God wants to take your mess and turn it into his message. But he also, and I want you guys to hear this. Maybe he wants to take your mistake and make it the pillar of your foundation. Maybe he wants to take the mistakes that you have or the weakness that you feel like you have in your life and he wants to make it the pillar of your foundation. This is what I mean by it. I don't have a lot of time to go into the whole story of Rahab. But in the Bible, there's um, it's in Joshua. You can read it, Rahab the prostitute where Joshua sent out 12 spies. They're spying out the land, the walls of Jericho, right? And two of them were in there. And they end up going into the house of the prostitute, which was Rahab, right? Now, I don't know if you guys knew this. During that time, the thing that signified that that, that person was in prostitution or in business was they would put a on their doorpost a scarlet rope, a red scarlet rope. And check this out. Well, the cool thing is, remember, I, want, I said he wants to take... What you feel like is your, mis your mistakes make it the pillar of your foundation is that same, can you, what saved Rahab's whole family that was in her house? What was on the windowsill was a scarlet red robe. See, God took something that was supposed to be of shame and made it the, the salvation of her whole family. And he wants to do the same for you. He, the things that you feel like you're so you're insecure about, the things that you feel like you're shameful about, the things that you feel like you're weak in, God wants to take that and use it for his glory. And I said at first service that He, God is into shaming shame. That's the business he's in. He wants to take your shame and shame it. Because he wants to take what you feel like you're so insecure in and, and use it to lead others to Christ. Because that when she placed that, 
the spies had said, anyone that's in your household is going to be saved. And if you read the scripture, it talks about how her whole family was saved. And you know what's the coolest part about that too? Is where do we go when we want to read about the heroes of faith? Does anybody know? Hebrews what? Chapter 11. Guess who is listed in the great heroes of faith? Rahab. Rahab is listed in the monks of the greatest heroes of faith because she was willing to take what she had and give it over to God. I want to read a scripture verse. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33 through 34. It says, By faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of a fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to fight. See, when they chose to step into and trust God, even though they were weak, that's when they put whole armies to flight. See, they were able to clench the flaming arrows because they stepped into faith, even when they felt like they were weak. They, used their, they allowed to, God to use their weakness to take background. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9-10, through 10, it says, Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's because all of a sudden when you're choosing to walk and step in faith and when you're weak, whatever you're weak in, you're allowing God to show up. You're leaving room for God to carry you. You're leaving room to trust God. I know I've told this story multiple times of my testimony, but man, I remember being, I had a stutter problem, a terrible stutter problem, super shy. I remember playing bass, and I like the only thing I could do, when because that was the first instrument I learned on, was the bass guitar. All I could do was stare at the, the music up there while trembling. Because if I looked up, I was done. There was, I was gone. So, and it's crazy how God will take something that, I've noticed this too, like throughout the youth ministry, how like with certain youth, like a lot of times, and you guys probably have noticed this too, with just in people in general and how God works. It's like you, you'll think someone's talented in something because they have this awesome talent, but God won't use that person for that specific area. It always seems like he'll take the person where they're the weakest and use that spot where they're the weakest for his glory. It's crazy how, and I see it all the time. So I'm going to have some students give some testimonies, and you'll see the common theme through the testimony is they had someone in their life that mentored them to where they're at right now. Someone who took the time, and some of them will have multiple mentors in their life, but they took the time um, to mentor them, and that's where they're at right now. So Jacob, I'll have you go first. So I was younger. By the church, kinda felt like I was being forced, like it was an obligation, like it was required, and you had no say. It was just what mom says: get in the vehicle, let's go. Um, I was younger at that time. Uh, I didn't want to be there, and uh, I was just watching it go by. Uh, I watched people go by, opportunities go by, places went by. And I was just ignoring it. Just wanted to be done. Didn't want to do anything with it. Uh, time passed. Like I said, places, things, people went by. 
Uh, we moved up here. We went to a camp. It was the epic, epic youth camp. On the advertised that too, even though there is none, but still advertised. Um, it was like maybe the second day. It was an altar call. Maybe it was first day, but Jason Forsman was the guest speaker. He had an altar call, and uh, I thought I'd just slip by this one too, but Mom thought I'd raise my hand, so I went up there anyway. And we're up here, and he uh, started praying for us, then he prayed for me, and what he said, uh, like, pierced through me and got my attention, and I realized what I've been doing, how wrong it was, how bad it is, and I gave my life, truly, not all the five or six times behind that where I just faked it. Um, but this time I did, and uh, when I did, I understood then. But recently, I've been slow going back down there, trying to get by stuff again, until he, Jason Forsman again invited us to a, a camp from uh, it was at Lost Valley. I went there. It was, I was having fun. Um, five days worth, maybe first three days of just playing around, not really paying attention. Uh, the fourth day, I did notice something. Uh, I was the only one not really praying or anything, and I looked around, and all I heard was, this is what it should be. And that kind of stuck with me for a little bit. And uh, the next day, we had a altar call, but it wasn't like someone was praying for you. It was, you're going up there, pray for you, and talk to God yourself. So he had us uh, the DYD from Ohio had us kick all the chairs out so no one would sit down and work it sleeping uh, then the song started playing Reckless Love and I was singing along to it and uh, before I knew it I started tearing up because I was thinking about all the things I've done wrong and how his love is and I felt fell down to the ground, started bawling like a little girl. Uh, maybe half an hour later of waterworks, um, we got up, and uh, Tyler's crying at this time too, if you didn't know. Even longer. And um, we went to Jason Forsman, and I was talking about uh, this, I have to give a testimony and all that, and I was telling him how he was in it, and how he was like a mentor to me, and he helped me through, he's a great friend, um, but my challenge is to you guys, do you, do you guys need a mentor, or do you want to be the mentor? There's someone out there that needs you, or there's someone out there that wants you. Charlotte, if anyone who doesn't know me, I'm, hi, hi, alright, hi, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Shannon and Jason's daughter, you guys probably know them, if not, they're in class, so my little sister, Clarissa, is right back there, 
She's like turning away. Alright, yeah. She's right by Pearl if you guys know Pearl. Anyway, I like embarrassing my family. Anyone else in here that I know? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Alright, anyway, I'm going to be sharing my testimony. Um, I just want to start off by saying that my testimony ties in with my dad's testimony. And what I mean by that is when I accepted Jesus, it was because of like when I asked him into my life and walk with me and be my like buddy, my pal, my God, my Savior, my Lord. Yeah, anyway, uh, it was because of the miracle that happened in my dad's life. So, yeah, now that we got that all cleared up, let's get started. Um, so, my life wasn't anywhere close to perfect before I, before I started walking with God. I was, when I was little, for the first few years of my life, my parents were in an on-off relationship, but it's clearly good now, so it's okay. And um, it was hard, and I was a baby, and like we would take my siblings to my dad's house so that they could spend time with him. But I never really got to stay because my mom was like, no, she's my baby. I gave birth to her. She's mine. And yeah, but anyway, it's all good now. And um, then the church that we were going to at the time, oh, this is after my sister was born. My parents got back together. There's still a lot of arguing throughout the whole household. Is good. Yeah, I see you. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ari, do you want me to start over? <laughs> and um, uh, my sister, uh, after she was born, my parents got back together, and they're still uh, arguing throughout the household. And I, when I was little, I had really bad anger issues, like really bad. Like, you guys think I'm mad now? You should have met me then. So, yeah, and when I was at daycare, and my grandparents or anything, I was, like, this little child that, like, always wanted to be by her parents. Like, I didn't want them to leave because I was afraid something would happen to them or I wouldn't get to see them again. So I would freak out. And I remember my siblings always calling my parents, Charlotte's acting crazy again. <laughs> and it's true. I was, like... Yeah. <laughs> and then we were going to this church and it was it closed down and that made me sad. And then what I'm about to say next, I could go on and on, but what I'm about to say next is kind of where my whole testimony starts. So my dad broke his back and that was really scary. I'm like seven and I didn't understand why my dad couldn't play with me anymore. I didn't understand why his back was hurting. And no matter how many times we prayed for him at the church, it would help for a little, but it would always start hurting again. And honestly, I believe that's because none of us had a relationship with God. We were just, we went to church, we volunteered at the church, but we weren't walking with God. So that's why I believe his back was still in pain. But me being the seven-year-old, none of my friends were Christians. Like I was like, okay, well, if God's real, then why is he letting my dad be in pain? Why do I have anger issues? My mom ended up in the hospital because of pneumonia. Why? Why is she in the hospital? Like, why is all this happening? So me being the seven-year-old, not having any Christian friends, my family wasn't walking with God, my church just closed down, I was like, well, if God was real, he wouldn't let all of this happen. Clearly, that's not true, because God is real. Like, sometimes, I feel like sometimes God has to kind of give us a wake-up call. So, yeah. And... So, 
now I'm like 10, and my sister was going to this church, my older sister, Chantal. Is she in here? Chantal? Hello? You're not in here? Okay, she's back there. All right, thank you. <laughs> um, she's married. You guys probably know her fiancé. Her husband, not fiancé. My bad. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. So she came home, and after months and months of asking us to go to church with her, we finally said yes, but only me and my two sisters and my mom went because my dad was in too much pain. And then one day my mom came home and she asked my dad, she was like, hey, come to church with us. And he was like, no, I'm in too much pain. And I, as a daddy's little girl, still am. And I was on my dad's side. I was like, he's in pain. Just let him rest. And my mom was like, no, that's just the enemy keeping you from something amazing happening today. And I'm glad she made him come. And I got permission to share this. So, like, yeah. But my dad was going to end his life that day because of how much pain he was in. And I didn't know that until a few months ago. And so I'm glad I my mom made him go. At first, I was mad. I was like, he's in pain. And he, like, wanted to drive. So on the way there, he's, like, holding himself up because of how much pain he's in. And I was scared for him. And now I'm back in Sunday school. And I don't know what the message was that day. must have been a pretty good message. But I came out of Sunday school, and I see my dad and my mom, a few old ladies, the pastor, the pastor's wife, and all these people praying over my dad, like, right there, like, right in front of Thomas. And I go up there, and my dad's crying, and I'm like, great, he's crying, he's in pain, let him sit down. <laughs> I was so confused, and me being daddy's little girl, I run up here, there's tissue bots, I grab the tissue bots, I bring it to my dad, I give him a hug, I was like, okay, they get done praying for him, and I'm like, alright dad, just sit down, rest before we go. And then this little lady's like tugging on him, and she's like, come on, you're gonna run around the church, and he's like, no, and I'm like, no. <laughs> And I was scared for him. I was, like, freaking out. I was like, great, what if he claps? So I run around the church with them. And not once, but twice he ran around the church. And then me and my little sister are, like, standing right there. And then the little lady comes up to me and my little sister. And she, with my dad, and she says, I think your little girls will run around with you again. And not just twice, but a third time he ran around the church. And that was, like... I don't know, it, like, opened my eyes to, like, wow, like, my dad's healed. He couldn't run around the church before. You're, like, for years he couldn't play with me. He was in a hospital chair for nine, a hospital chair? No, <laughs> a desk chair for nine months. Like, he could barely move. He could barely stand enough to t get into his bed. It was crazy. And I was, like, wow, God must be real. He healed my dad. And then I go, like, I'm feeling, like, all this stuff, like, I can't believe I said that. He's not real. I can't believe I said God who, like, uh. And so I go up to the pastor, and I ask him to help me accept Jesus into my life and have him walk with me, and he did. And uh, that summer, July 19th of 2015, I got baptized, and I've been walking with God ever since. And I'm not going to say it's perfect now, because it's not. There's still bumps, and yeah. But my challenge to you guys is to give God time, and he will show up.
Yeah. Sorry, I talk a lot. I'm going to have Tyler come on up. Tyler, waiting on you. basically in church, around the church, and, but I didn't want to be in the church, because I just wanted to eat, sleep, and I didn't have just that that uh it just kept on growing and growing and a few years passed by same thing over and over just going through the motions of and uh one uh sunday uh jason forsman came and i don't remember a thing what he said but that day i Gave my heart to the Lord, and and uh, ever since, I, it just kind of went back down to that hole, and I kept digging and digging. Well, then recently he uh, called us and said that we should uh, go to Lost Valley Youth Camp and. Uh, I did, and the first few days, I just played the games and sat in my chair in the uh, auditorium, and third day, I went up, fourth day, I went up and it was changed, and when I was up there, I was crying for at least an hour maybe 45 minutes, but while I was uh, crying, I felt so loved, cause, and I felt like loving people, because I, I hugged literally everybody I saw, and uh, then I went out to Jason Forsman to text my mom, I told him uh, just to text my mom, and after that, I did, and I kept on crying, and then um, we just went on about of our uh, went about on our day, and uh, if if I didn't go to that youth camp, and uh, I was baptized like wasn't it like a week ago? Like a week ago, and if I wouldn't have gone to that camp. I would have never had that experience, the, the baptism, and Jason Forsman is like, it's like dragged me along. I've I've dragged. He's still he's still pushing me. And, well, on um, my challenge for you is to 
just be that mentor or um, be that the, the follower that follows because we, we all need it. Chase and Charlie. Chase and Charlie. This is my twin chase. When we were born, when we were born, we were um, healthy, and um, a few weeks after Chase got brought to the hospital, got X-rays, and um, they found out that he had fractures in his body. So they took me into the hospital, gave me X-rays, and I they found I had fractures too. And they went to my house and investigated, and found out that my family was abusing me, and. God saved us from that and brought us into another home that loved into a family that loves us more. Hello, I'm Chase, and I'm going to tell you where I got my first encounter with God. Um, um, when we were adopted in a new family, we've been with the family for about 12 years now, and. We went to the Lost Valley, and I went up to the front and asked the pastor to pray for me, and he did, and I had an encounter with God, and after that I've been having a steady walk with God, and it's been good. I'm going to have uh, DJ come on up. He's our last one. It's so cool, though, to see how um, powerful parenting can be. Or like how, like for Tom and Amy in that situation, when it says go into all the world, they had to step out of something that they were uncomfortable probably in to adopt and mentor someone that wasn't originally part of their family. So here's DJ. Hi, my name is DJ, and I'm going to tell you the exact place I had my first encounter with God. But first, I'm going to tell you how I got saved. I was born and raised in a Christian home, but I didn't get saved until I was about seven years old. It was a Sunday morning when I was in children's church. Wait, they asked if they asked all of the, us if we wanted to get saved. I said yes. So we said a prayer, and I asked Jesus into my heart. But I never had an encounter with God until I was ten, about 10 years old. I was at Lost Valley Church camp, and Tate, Chase, and Char Charlie and I were at the chapel. We were worshiping when the worship leader called us all up to the altar. When we went up to the altar, we saw people praying, worshiping, speaking in tongues, and I had my first encounter up at the altar. So my challenge for you guys today is to go up to the altar because the altar is a place of change and forgiveness. I wonder, Kate, will you turn that down?
I'm going to read a couple of scripture verses. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. It says, You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Psalms 145, verse 4. It says, One generation shall command your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And then the last one, Psalm 71, 15 through 18, says, My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long. Though I know not how to re relate them all, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, Sovereign Lord. I'll proclaim your righteous deed, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. So I'm going to have the worship team come back up. And if I can, everybody stand and I suppose. I want to challenge you guys with something. Are you going to be like David and say, Lord, don't take me until I have declared to the next generation who you are? until I have instructed and trained up the next generation in who you are. So I want you to ask, I'm going to give you guys some time to ask God two questions this morning. And the first question is, God, who should be my mentor from this point on? Maybe some of you have some, that's awesome, but maybe you don't. Maybe you need to ask God today, hey, who should be my mentor? And the next question is, God, who should I be mentoring right now? And all, in all areas of influence that I have, who should I be influencing right now? Who should I be training up, mentoring, discipling, uh, instructing, teaching them, sharing your testimonies to them constantly? Who is that person? So just real fast, take some time and just ask God, just between you and God. the next couple of minutes is what we're going to do. See, DJ challenged you guys saying that his first encounter was when he chose to step out and come out to the altar. Where Literally, what that means, the altar, like he said, is the place of change. It's where change has been. Because at the altar, like in the Old Testament, that's where they laid things down before God. That's where they sacrificed things to God. So the reason why this is a place of change is because you're able to lay it down and allow yourself to go through a burning process of all the access fat, all the access stuff that's in your life. So I'm going to challenge you right now. Just take some time with God at the altar and ask God those two questions. God, who should I be mentoring under? And who who should I be mentoring, Lord? And once you get those, just take some time and worship Him and start praising Him for who He is and give. just start asking insight to how, how am I supposed to approach and mentor someone? How, how am I supposed to go about this? So once again, I'm, I'm just going to shut up let these, and we're just going to worship. But I challenge you guys to come on up here, step out of your comfort zone, and come up to the place of change where change, true change happens at the altar.